and welcome to How to Deal When the Shit Gets Real podcast. I'm Rietta. And I'm Connie. And today we're here with Lillian. So Lillian, how do you how do you deal when shit gets real? Or just tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> sure. My day job, I run a business as a PR coach and publicist, and I work with creative entrepreneurs to empower them to learn how to push past limiting beliefs, to gain the confidence to learn how to launch successful PR campaigns for themselves. So when you talk about uh, shit getting real, mindset is something that I deal with on a daily basis, personally and professionally. So definitely, I would say what I've gone through personally has definitely affected how I manage things professionally. And we can definitely get into some of that in regards to just my experience with it and how I've kind of come to a place where now I'm coaching entrepreneurs on how to push past their own mindset blocks, right? So definitely. I'd say you've come full circle, which I mean, it's kind of cliche, <laughs> but it works. Yep. Especially for our podcast, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so what is one of the biggest issues you see with your coaching business and how do you help people overcome? Um, one of the reasons why I started doing PR coaching was because when I was just doing the campaign side of things as a publicist on the service provider side, I noticed a lot of the same limiting beliefs come up, like a lot of fear around results and spending money and time and energy, a lot of anxiety over not being able to control the results they were getting or not getting. And then the other part of it is a lot of unrealistic expectations yeah. on what those results will be, where it will get them, and just, you know, how much effort they had to put into the work themselves. Because let's face it, this stuff takes time. We know we have a podcast and it's little by little. Little by Absolutely. little. Absolutely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was there a common limiting belief that you saw among people? It's really interesting you ask that question because I find with a lot of the women that I work with, fear is the really big one. So fear of I can see that. being judged, fear of being dismissed, fear of um, being exposed as like, you know, imposter syndrome gets really, mm, really big with them. Yeah. So fear of like, oh my God, you know, people are going to see that I don't know what I'm talking about or I'm not worthy yeah. of following or my story's not worthy of being heard if I'm doing an interview. It's really, really big with women. What's funny is I've encountered more men who have more unrealistic, lofty expectations. I mean, of. honestly, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's it's led by their egos in regards to like, I've never done an interview in my life, but I want to be a media mogul and I want you to get me on mm. like Jimmy Fallon, right? Like I've heard that yeah. so often over the years and it's really? like, well, yeah. Okay. And, okay. and it's like, that's not how it works. Like if no. you don't have any experience. You have to be like the, you have to be like the 1%. Like, you know what I mean? Like how long it takes to get to that 1% mm -hmm. can take a whole lifetime. Oh, yeah. And not to mention, it's like they're banking on something going viral. It's a Hail Mary yes. pass oh, yeah. is what it is, right? Oh, my God. And yeah. 
like I always tell my clients and even people in my audience, the worst thing you want to happen is if you have no experience and something does go viral, you don't know how to Absolutely. handle it. Suddenly you're on like the couch on stage on Jimmy Fallon or Kimmel or whatever. And, and you're embarrassing yourself because you don't know what to do. And I'm like, that and you is- don't know what you're talking about necessarily. You spouted off something on Instagram. It went viral. And now you're like, oh, fuck. Right. And it's like, you know, the in, recovering from that embarrassment is going to take you a lot longer than if you had actually taken the steps to work your way up to that. Absolutely. Right? I find it really interesting how different the men, like over here, us women are worried about imposter syndrome and the men are like, get me on Jimmy Fallon. Like, hello, gap. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's definitely like, an, you know, the I don't know if it is a gender divide. I don't know if it's just like the the professions, right? Because I talk to a lot of women who are authors and then there's the men who are more the entrepreneur type, the startup founders and all of that. Um, it, it could be that. And it could also just be like, you know, I find like their perception of self and like their willingness mm-hmm. to kind of sit down and actually get introspective on like, what do I actually want to do? Like, what do I actually want out of this? Not enough people spend enough time to actually sit there and get specific about what they want. It's just, I want more sales. And it's like, well, I want millions and I want to be on Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) Right. It's like, great. That's awesome. I would love to help you. My problem is it's not specific enough for someone like me, you know? Well, and it's too broad or what those, those suggestions that I just made, like they're very broad and it's like okay well there's 10 million ways Mm -hmm. i could get you millions of dollars how exactly i mean you know what i mean it's not necessarily you're not necessarily giving out billions of dollars but to help them get that goal Mm -hmm. it's amazing how common imposter syndrome is among authors because i never realized that until i started making more author friends and i'm like oh okay we all Okay, imposter syndrome is not so, not so, uh, I feel like it's a woman thing in also general. That. It just yeah, and, and I think like it's it also a, a creative thing because we put so much into yes. what we're creating with a book and, and we are worried, we spend a lot of time worrying about how other people are going to perceive it and everything. And um, that's actually something that I I went through professionally, but like to go back a bit um I spent a lot of my life uh living in like a traditional household you know Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a first generation Chinese born Canadian so my parents are boomer immigrants yeah huge age gap huge generational divide um so what that meant in my household was a lot of top-down stuff not a whole lot of self-control right it's like you you do what I you say. do what I tell you yeah you you know we we know best like you know your opinion doesn't matter just just do this um so there was a lot of like control on that level and that generated a lot of like generational trauma for me for my brother I understood where my parents were coming from because being immigrants and all, like my dad didn't reunite with his parents until he was 28. 
Mm, okay. So he basically raised himself. My mother, you know, didn't come to Canada until she was 17. And as the oldest of five was tasked with raising the younger siblings, particularly my youngest uncle, who was like a newborn when she yeah. moved to the country. So I understood all of that, but you know, it didn't make living with it any easier. Right. right. Where you're just, you're not allowed to express yourself. The expectation is, is that you need to get a job and that job, if it's not doctor, lawyer, pharmacist needs to be with the government because they give good salaries and they get and you good a good pensions. pension. Mm -hmm. So they're like, do that, stay three or four decades and you're set, right? Like they prioritized financial stability over everything. Oh, yeah. Didn't over believe... happiness, over oh, everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did not believe in like, what What the heck's a mental health day? Like, what does that even mean? It's like, you don't have to be happy in your job. You just have to do it, right? Yeah. So this is kind of how we, like, this was the environment we were raised in. And then you add on to the fact that there is a 13-year age gap between my brother and myself. He's 13 years oh, wow. senior. So we wow. were both... Uh, were you like a surprise? Like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And it was like, okay, so you have that. And then um, there's like, I grew up with mobility issues from being born early. And, you know, so all of these different layers of things. Yeah. Um, and like my brother, I always say he was my third parent, but he was the parent who understood me. He was the mm. parent who gave me that sounding board and that support and everything. Whereas yeah. my parents, very, very heavy top down. So I started to rebel in in my own ways, right? Not surprising. And I, no. And, and I did that initially actually by, you know, since I recognized at a very young age, these two individuals are not going to give me what I need emotionally and mentally. That's when I started going to counseling off and on. Mm -hmm. And through that, I kind of found more of a healthy sounding board to learn how to work through the issues as they were going on. Um, and, it, and that's, it's shocking that you were able to recognize and go to counseling. You know, yeah, it, it helped. Like I went through school initially with the counseling yeah. before like going private and that and it like I'm always forever grateful that I had my brother. I had um, like my whole family's local. So I had my brother, I had some cousins that I could rely on and stuff like that, that made growing up in that house a lot easier. But yeah. I spent, you know, probably, I would say 10 to 15 years going to counseling off and on and finding that really cathartic. Mm -hmm. um, oh, yeah. But at the same time, um, I was building my business. So I was building my business. I started as a university student looking for um, what you guys would call paid internship experience. Oh, yeah. In yep. order to land a job, right? Like after graduation. Yeah. Um, and at that time, I said, well, you know, nobody's going to hire me unless they can see what I can do. So in order to do that, I have to build a portfolio. So yeah. to build a portfolio back in the day, I was cold calling and cold emailing something like 40 plus businesses a day just wow. to see who was going to give me a shot, right? Ended up landing some work 
um, with one of my early mentors who was running a marketing agency. And then I started doing copywriting and social media and that. And you can imagine that living in that house at that time, I was getting no support. Oh, yeah. I was getting because you like, weren't a doctor because you weren't a doctor lawyer. Yeah. Accountant. Yeah. And, and, you know, so living in that house, I mean, was tough. You can imagine, like, doesn't matter how big the square footage is of the house, you don't have enough room to live with two people who do nothing but try to uh, dissuade you very judgmentally from your path, right? Yeah. So while I was dealing with this and trying to figure out the best ways to grow my business, I ended up like um, getting into a couple of things mindset wise, which led to some not so great business decisions. Like I had one year where I didn't make one cent, no money whatsoever, because my focus was on the wrong spot. I was Mm -hmm. trying to take on the wrong projects and I was trying to work with the people who were doing nothing but trying to talk me down price-wise. And, 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 you know, that like that's never going to end well. No, that's never going to end well. So I I was going through that. And at the time I was also, um, by this time I had like moved out of the house and everything I was engaged, but I was still hearing it a lot from my parents, a lot of the doubts, a lot of the judgment and everything. And I had a choice to make. It's like, you know, I'm engaged, we're wedding planning, we're moving, didn't make any money in my business this year. Do I still want to do this? It was kind of one of those crossroad moments. And I thought to myself, that sounds classic crossroad. (laughs) You know, when things are good, I still love doing what I do. Mm -hmm. Like I really do. And and, And I know that there's still more for me to do out there there's still more people that I want to help I want to continue this but in a different way and that crossroad moment ended up with me taking on like PR as part of my business because at the same time I had also had a lot of folks come into me and saying hey do you offer this can you write me a press release I don't know what the heck I'm doing with it and I thought uh-huh. You know, I'm tired of telling people no. Yeah, let's clearly there's like, a demand for it. You might as well go yeah. for it. So I was like, you know, let's try this out. Let's see how it goes. I ended up cutting my teeth working for a lot of local PR agencies, getting into like doing it for film and TV, which I love. Met some fantastic like directors and producers through that. Um, built up a real network of media and podcasts that cover horror films in particular i'm still friends oh, with love those horror guys films to, <laughs> yep, to this day you do. know we talk all the time um but then it was also like okay i'm coming to my next crossroads of i'm getting burnt out on the service providing side i don't want all of this stuff just to be me like the campaign results and everything just to be on me and I didn't want to expand to run an agency because I've been where, you know, hey, I'm worried about putting my own dinner on the table. I don't want to be worried about doing that. Everybody else's. Yeah. Yeah. My employees, too. So, you know, and then I had people saying to me, hey, you know, I would love to be able to work with you on a campaign, but 
I don't, I can't afford it. So I'm like, by this point, I had been doing this for, you know, 14, 15 odd years. And I said, there has to be a better way for me to continue to work with folks, impart my knowledge on them, and also, you know, educate them on what PR is about. But I need that outside perspective. Like I'm missing that outside perspective that's going to give me guidance on where I want to take this. And that's why I invested in business and mindset coaching. And let me tell you, mindset coaching changed my life professionally and personally. Um, I don't doubt it. It really helped me get to the root of my life, my coping mechanisms, and help me learn how to show up better for my audiences, for my clients to continue to add value. Because I had spent a lot of years, just like the people that I'm trying to help now, thinking, why can't I just let what I do speak for itself? Right. Like so many of my clients come to me and say, like, why can't it just be about the book? Why do people have to know about me? Right. Like it should be the book that matters. And for years, like I was the same way. I'm like, I have my testimonials. I have my case studies. This shows people what I do. That should be good enough. And the problem with that is it showed them what I could do, which, you know, hey, there's thousands of people that do publicity, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't tell them what they were actually getting into working with me. And through mindset coaching, what I realized was the reason why I was so afraid to share more about like my process as an entrepreneur, my mindset journey and everything was the fact that I was worried about losing control. And the reason I was worried about losing control was because growing up, I had no control. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So when I came to that realization, it was like, okay, how am I going to get past this? Because I can't very well help people work on their mindsets if all I'm doing is hiding in a closet myself. Yeah, like, that's absolutely. Not fair. You, you can't, you know, talk the talk if you're not willing to walk the walk. Yep. And and it was like I realized that all my years of counseling were great for catharsis, but what they weren't doing was addressing the root causes. And through mindset coaching, I realized that and I came to the once once this happened, it opened up everything for me where it was like I realized where my need for control stemmed from and what I had to do was learn how to forgive myself yes. for what I, w- I w- what I wasn't able to do to have control over growing up and recognize that at that time with who I was and the knowledge that I had and everything, I did the best that I could. Mm-hmm. And the moment I did that, I mean, the entire world opened up. Yeah. So were I you would- ever able to like forgive your parents? <laughs> Um, 
I'm, I would say that at this stage, um, the boundaries are up, things are civil, um, and that is about uh, as the best that it's going to get, I think, um, just because... I just wasn't sure if you would, like, cut ties after, like, you realized all of these things, or if you were able to, like, okay, I understand all of this trauma, and I forgive you... You know, like, I was like, where does that? I understand that. Um, I don't know that I'll ever get to forgiveness. And I think yeah. one of the reasons why is because, um, like I said, everybody's still local. And uh-huh. I have really strong ties to my extended family. And mm-hmm. what happens is they tend to rely on my parents for gatherings and things like that. So the waters get really murky when you can't independently yeah. have relationships like with the aunts the uncles the cousins yeah stuff and like you that. still love everybody and whatever right right so you know i mean it's it to me it's the best that it's going to be and uh, you know in the meantime you know i'm living the life that i want to live yeah and yeah to have that you know now that i have a better understanding of where i'm coming from on that that's where i'm able to coach my clients and sit down with them and go and understand, like, you know, I understand you're afraid of sharing your story. Let's dig a little bit deeper as to where that's coming from, how we can address it and how we can help you push past it. And that's one of the big reasons why um, it's such a huge focal point in my first PR book that I'm writing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, so many authors and entrepreneurs in my audience had said, you know, following you on social media is great, but I'm getting the bits and pieces, right? Like I'm getting the tips, which is awesome, but I'm not seeing the entire strategy, the big picture on a daily basis. So would you, and and I want something to be able to refer to, you know, if, you know, as I'm following you and everything. So I said, you know, why not write that book because this is something that I've lived professionally for a number of years. This is something I've lived personally on a mindset wise for 36 years, my entire life. Um, And, you know, it's, it's been really great. Like people are excited for it to come out. I'm currently running a campaign for it and, you know, it's doing well. Um, I'm definitely excited to continue to help as many people as possible, give back to nonprofits, grow the coaching side of the business, get out there and do more speaking events. And to think like even just a few years ago, I would have never done that. Like I was so busy grinding my business one way and hiding behind, you know, not wanting to come on camera and everything else um, because I didn't want to lose control of my narrative. And what I've learned is that I've never, it's not control I'm losing. What I'm, what I've done is that I've learned to let go of the things I can't control. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I totally relate to that because I, I love having something tangible that I can look at and hold. Um, Actually, one of the first books my dad ever gave me was a book about mindfulness. So on that note, do you have any books about mindfulness that you like that you would share with us? 
Um, it's not so much books. I find like what I do for my kind of mindfulness practices, I turn to a lot of uh, meditation and self-hypnosis. So there are some great like guided meditations from um, even like Headspace has free ones that you can follow on YouTube. They also have some great asthma tracks. Like if you're having trouble falling asleep, Goodful is another one um, that I do. I used to do every morning about like a 10 minute guided meditation to start your day where they just focus on like, what is your intention for the day? And from doing that, like my philosophy is now on a daily basis, hey, if I do one thing today, it's a great day. I'm accomplished. I'm satisfied. I don't need to be rushing through, you know, a to-do list that's a mile long. And it really kind of helps me prioritize my energy more because before my anxiety was so out of control, uh, I made myself sick. I lived with a chronic illness for eight years. Every time I had a flare up, um, you know, I'd be on my living room floor, curled up in a fetal position, losing five, six hours of sleep because I couldn't yeah. sleep because of the pain and my no. mind was racing and everything. And, you know, through doing the mindset work and, you know, also getting treatment and stuff like that, too, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like my anxiety is not keeping me up. I'm not having flare ups and, you know, in doing that meditation and incorporating these daily affirmations and mantras into my life, it just becomes so much easier to prioritize me, which I spent yeah. like, you know, what, 25, 30 years not doing. So do you have a piece of advice to entrepreneurs so that they don't spend the 14, 15 years grinding away, not to say that you wasted any time, but just maybe to save some other entrepreneurs some time or some wasted efforts? I would say um, even if you are afraid or anxious about starting something new or you're or getting out there, take those baby steps. And it doesn't have to be anything big. You don't have to start out doing a podcast right away. Reach out to somebody in your network that you know, like, does Instagram lives, as an example. Yeah. Because you already know Those them. are huge. You're comfortable mm -hmm. with them. It makes it a lot easier to just get on there and have a conversation between the two of you. And the more you do that, the easier it's going to get. Like, take those baby steps. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Just reach out to who you know and see if you can put something together. And, you know, when you're first starting out, it doesn't even matter if nobody's paying attention. Mm -hmm. It's just for you, the two of you, to get comfortable having that conversation. Trust together. me, nobody wants to listen to our first episode. I mean, <laughs> come on, Rietta. We just kind of did it. Like, we talked about it and mm -hmm. talked about it. And then we just, okay, we're going to record on this day. Like, let's just do it. I don't know. Somebody well, probably wants to listen to it. <laughs> well, in my mind, I'm like, please don't listen to it. <laughs> listen to all the other ones. <laughs> the first one we were like, uh. Or at least I felt like I was. I was so nervous. Honestly, don't even remember anymore. We're talking like yep. four years ago now. 2019, right? Something like that. Yeah, February time, of 2019. Time flies when you're having fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, that actually... So 
in that in that way you are correct that is exactly what we did we first talked about it planned it a little bit and then just did it just did it yep yeah exactly and I think another thing that you mentioned in your your pre-interview was a lot of it has to do with like lacking confidence and I mean a lot of people do lack confidence and is there anything that you've noticed like what might be like the biggest culprit for why people lack confidence or is it just all over the board um, well, going back to what we were talking about before, imposter syndrome is a really big one. Um, mm-hmm. Coming at it from my own experience, the family expectations is really can be really, really heavy. Um, particularly like in my case, if you get no support in what it is that you want to do, then you want to prove yourself even more, right? Oh, Which yeah. can also put added pressure on getting to those milestones and getting those results, uh, you know, within a certain time frame, which of course, as we all know, isn't always realistic. Oh, no, right? absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like family pressure is one. Seeing like comparison syndrome, I find is also really, really big among entrepreneurs and authors oh, in yeah. particular. Uh, and because- in general, especially oh. social media never helps mm-hmm. with comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because we only see the end result, right? We don't see how many years and how much energy it took somebody to put that stuff together. Oh, so yeah. like what I always try to counsel my clients and my audience on is like, remember, you're only seeing the end result. They're yeah. going through, they've probably gone through the same issues you're moving through now. But everybody has their own time frame. The other thing that I think uh, plays into a lack of confidence is the perception from a lot of people that they don't have time. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants wants everything done yesterday because we keep thinking we don't have enough time, right? Oh, yeah. Connie tells me all the time she doesn't have any time. (laughs) I don't. Hey, to be fair, I have a little baby, okay? He takes up a lot of time. Sure. But it's also like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of authors that I work with and that I talk to that are moms. So they're Mm -hmm. doing things like I'm taking my kid to dance lessons and I'm writing in the car because you you do what you got. That's what Rihanna does. Yeah, that was me. I take my kid to soccer. And while he was in soccer, I'm typing in the car. (laughs) Right. Because, you know, you have you prioritize it when it matters to you. But it's also like, absolutely. I'm I have to remind myself of this and I tell clients this as well is that you always have time but what ha- but what you don't have a finite amount of is energy and if you push yourself too hard leading to burnout and getting sick means you're going to end it's going to take you a lot longer to get back to where you are now let alone move beyond that so you're better off just taking it incrementally. And, you know, I put together mantras for my clients all the time. I do it for myself where it's just like, I have time and everybody has their own journey. I can cheer somebody else on without feeling like crap that somehow I'm not progressing like they are, you know? I got a great reminder of that this week. Um, from my husband, because I think a lot of us forget this. You can feel two different things at the same time. Like, for instance, 
we just had promotions in my job and somebody else got one over me. And I, it was valid that I was excited for her, but also sad or disappointed for myself. I think we really get caught up in like, you could only feel one thing at a time. And like, that's not, not how it goes. Mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it doesn't make either emotion bad, right? right? You just have to recognize that both of them deserve their own space. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the hardest things that I struggled with when I first became an author is the people that I expected to get support from, I didn't. And the people I didn't expect to get support from, I did. So it was very, it was very strange to me. I was like, whoa, like there's people. Well, now I want to know who. (laughs) Like that's cheering me on and like that I haven't talked to. And then there's people that I was like, oh, they'll absolutely read this that didn't like it's crickets. Yeah, it's it's interesting as you make decisions to change something about your life and about your journey, who will actually resonate with that, who will support it and who will understand it. Um, I in a weird way, I almost consider it a blessing that I learned very early on in life not to, you know, expect support. Um, you know the the yeah because to to want the support and then not get it all of a sudden would be like yeah right exactly whereas like you know I'm lucky enough that like I have fantastic friends that I'm able to lean on that I've you know all of them have been my friends over a couple of decades now um I still have family members that I that I lean on and, and the husband as well who really do understand what it is that I'm trying to do and that it's not an overnight thing, especially since, you know, I've changed directions a couple times here, right? Like I started yeah. out with copywriting and social media, yeah. pivoted to PR and then added on to PR. And now I want to do more things like speaking. I want to do, you know, and all of that stuff takes time because nobody's yeah, yeah. going to hire you for like, here, I'm just going to chuck 15 grand at you to go speak at a conference when you have no experience, right? It's right. just like every other <laughs> aspect of PR. So yeah, you know, so when does your book come out? And what's it called? So we can we know uh, the book is called The Powerful Publicity Prescription. I can definitely oh. send you Ladies, a link um, for the current campaign right now. If things go well and they're trending that way right now, um, I'm looking at uh, probably first quarter of 2024. Um, nice. And, I'm assuming and I'm, do you have it on Kickstarter? Is that what you mean by campaign? Uh, crowdfunder, actually. Okay. And I chose crowdfunder. Similar type of thing. Yeah, like it's it's Canadian, and you know I gotcha. just like the functionality better and everything. Um, yeah, gotcha. So I'm I'm giving myself till then because I'm also doing a workbook and a glossary with it. Just oh, that's cool. Round everything out so that people can read the book, you know, get the terms defined in the glossary and then actually take action with the workbook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's that's the plan. It's going well so far. Um, still awesome. a lot of a lot of work ahead, right? I'm trying to pace myself through it and everything and just remind myself that I, again, I still have time. Um, and you'll definitely have to um, remind us when the book actually does come out so that we can post about it as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And and certainly, you know, um, I don't know what you do for your day jobs, but hey, if you guys want a copy, I'd be happy to send you one too. Like it's no problem. 
I would absolutely love a copy. I mean, I'm an author, so I need all the PR stuff. And obviously the podcast needs it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Social media is our nemesis. <laughs> I hate it. I loathe it. Oh, if I could, it's... I'd get rid of it all. I don't but it just you. doesn't work like that when you have a podcast. No, doesn't. I don't blame you for that. But one thing I will say this about PR is that PR can help you beat the algorithm. Why? Because the content you create, like the interviews that you do with everybody, it's not living on Twitter. It's not living on Instagram. The more you post it, the more people will see it, right? It's not being True. controlled by that platform. You control it. Absolutely. So, like in that way, because I've seen, you know, so many of my author audience talk about like, I post something and literally not even the people that usually care are seeing it, right? Yeah. And and that's that's the problem is because these platforms prioritize different things because when they say oh we want to see more reels they're still only promoting reels certain music certain graphics certain topics right it's super annoying so you know like i know how to get a lot of views i just post my baby it always gets a lot of views (laughs) it's the chubby cheeks and the red hair this is the one thing I love about Twitter because it's like the one social media that it's acceptable just to like yell into the void. Like you can literally post anything and like it's just there. <laughs> yep. She made she made a Twitter for our podcast. Are you posting on it? No. I figured why the hell not? Well, there's not a lot to post right now when we're not posting episodes, but yes. That, that's <laughs> true. That's true. We're on a little break, but not for much longer find you and uh, follow you on there too because i'm i'm still on twitter talking to folks yeah on there you a go. daily basis and yeah i hate it all i do it <laughs> but I, I hate it all it's fine i know i never i i just there's days that i want to give up and then i'm like nope i'm just gonna keep chugging along just keep I swimming mean, it, it yep. has helped in the last few years in growing your network on it like globally on an international scale online because you couldn't meet in person, right? So yeah. in that way, it's... That's helped. actually one of the coolest um, things about the podcast is how many people we have interviewed in so many different countries. Yes. Uh, France and Australia and Canada, like mm-hmm. a bunch from Canada, actually. Uh, yeah. Like, that's like the coolest part. We're like, oh, like we would have never met you normally. Like, and now we get to hear your story. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. And seeing then, like, we met you because of Kristen. So, like, it just, the train just keeps, it keeps going and keeping picking up passengers as it goes. Yeah, exactly. So, I, like, I think it's, it has its benefits, even though it has its drawbacks. And, you know, for for all, all the author friends and clients and stuff that I have that always feel pressured to kind of consistently post every single day. And they struggle with coming up with a content strategy. I always say to them, like, consistency is what you make of it. So for some expert to say you have to show up every single day and you have to post reels and all this other stuff, forget about it. Just look at, you know, what feels good to you and what actually reflects Mm -hmm. like what you're working on. Right. And if that's, you can only show up three times a week, do three times a week. It's fine. Like, yeah, yeah, because it does become daunting. 
It does. Mm-hmm. I used to feel that way. I used to be like, oh my God, I have to post every day or at least have to post like Monday through Friday because everybody's busy on the weekend anyway. And now I'm like, F it. When I want to post a post because I just, I can't, like, I don't have the spoons to post every day. I feel like it's going to mm-hmm. eventually turn that way anyway. Like, even with all of, like, the influencers and stuff, it's going to become eventually for everybody too overwhelming and people are just going to post when they want to post, you know? It's a lot. I mean, like, you really, we talked to a gal who is a pretty big Instagram influencer and she told us how many hours it takes her to make a 30 second reel. I mean, it's, in, it's a full-time job, really. Mm-hmm. And it's the kind of thing that most people, um, don't get paid for, right. To market right. their own businesses and everything else. So you really have to be, it's really about being strategic on where do I want to spend my time and energy? Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and if I carve, if I carve out, let's say a couple hours on a Wednesday to do this today, can I feel like, can I walk away from it afterwards? So then yeah. you're preserving and prioritizing your energy for other things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any last notes for our listeners? Any tips, tricks, anything you want to impart on us? Um, I think the big thing I'm going to say about PR in general is that if you get an interview or you do an event and there's a video from it, you can't expect to post it once and have thousands of people like it and book calls to talk with you or want to work with you as a client. It doesn't work that way. The best way to get in front of as many people as you want to get in front of is to stay consistent with sharing it. That doesn't mean sharing it every day. It means look at a calendar. Here's a month. Can I share it maybe three to four times? And each time I share it, is it a different clip? Maybe a different image, maybe a different quote to entice people to actually start paying attention. Because the other thing I've learned, people these days need to see something about 20 times before it sinks in and before they feel compelled to actually go do something about it. So what you need throughout all of this is the understanding that it's going to take time and what you're doing is growing your patience. Yeah. Definitely. 20 times Link is you way too many. Oh my god. Just had to say that. <laughs> Actually, like I feel like that tracks because I was reading um something. I don't even remember what, but it was basically that your toddler has to eat something 20 times for them to decide whether they like a food or not. So I'm like, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. I literally just read this about toddlers and eating. <laughs> I mean, same difference because you're eat you're eating, I suppose, you know, the mm-hmm. content. And it's very true because there are a lot of the same videos out there. And to stand out, you're going to have to keep on posting. It makes sense. But uh, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I've learned a lot. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. We enjoyed speaking with you. And we'll see everybody else next episode.